Welcome to the Building Leaders Radio Hour, a conversation-based podcast featuring interviews with everyday business leaders. We're here to entertain and empower those within and beyond the construction industry, and we're here to share the stories of those who built their own paths and paved the way for the future. We are your hosts, Neil Wilkove and Mark Cleverly. Hey, Mark. Hello, Neil. How are you doing today? <laughs> the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. It's Monday, start it, of the week, so... It, it is know, Monday. We're ready to go. Like, this is just me validating myself that I know the day of the week, which is, you know, it's been a, been rough for me last couple of weeks, but we're, we're rolling, sun shining, I'm feeling good. What about you? Do you need a hug? I always need a hug, Neil. Okay, we'll do that after. Yeah, let's not do that on air. That gets no, no, that, that'd be really The weird. guest kind of stares at you really funny when we start hugging it out in the studio. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> but before, but I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Oh, did I ask? You actually I, did I, just ask. I, I don't I know don't if you norm- meant it, but I just, you did ask. I don't normally, I just assume. Yes. Uh, but before we get too far, we want to give a shout out to our season two sponsor, Fly and Form Concrete Structures. Fly and Form Concrete Structures is headquartered here in Atlanta, but can be found throughout the Southeast and specializes in concrete structures. They've been amazing supporters of ABC of Georgia, and we're happy to have them as the presenting sponsor for season two of Building Leaders Radio Hour. And before you jump in to introducing our guests, because I know you're excited to do that, um, just again, call to action. We would really like it if you listen to this podcast and you enjoy it, if you could go on to whatever your podcast service of choice is, um, leave us a review, good or bad. We prefer five stars, right? Five. Is five the best? Five is pretty good. Okay. So five-star reviews, please. Um, That really helps us. And we reached a download milestone recently, which is great. Um, So thank you to everyone that listens. And thank you for mentioning that. There you go. I I thought it was important. It was a big milestone. We want to say thank you. It is. And I think that's awesome. But I also wanted to mention that one of our sponsors, very pleased with us. Really? Well, with me, not you so much. <laughs> but they're very, Fly and Form Concrete Structures is very happy with how the season's going so far. Is, that, is that why they wouldn't make eye contact me at the uh, recent meet and greet? That is correct. Oh, okay. That is correct. It was also because I was bad-mouthing you at the meet and greet. <laughs> but anyway, we are here with, and we're very excited to have him here, Chris Clark, the president and CEO of the Georgia Chamber of Commerce. He, is, uh, he received his bachelor's degree from Georgia Southern University, the Eagles. Go Eagles. Go Eagles. And his master's degree in public administration from Georgia College and State University. Go Bobcats. Bobcats. I did not know that. That's news know. to me. That was a good one. That's yep. pretty good. I'm usually good about that. I did not know that one. Now I do. Prior to joining the Georgia Chamber, Chris served as commissioner of the Georgia Department of Natural Resources and as a deputy commissioner for the Department of Economic Development. Before his state service, he was the president of the Fayette County Development Authority and CEO of the Hawkinsville Pulaski County Chamber of Commerce. Chris, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me into this very intimate conversation that you two seem to be having yes, today. We, we I, could, I, I don't want to interrupt, but I'm glad to be here. No, no, we could do this without any guests. I, yeah, you don't need a guest. No, I get it. We, yeah, I get it. Yeah, we actually like each other. I know it's uh, it's not obvious, but we actually do like each other a little bit. Uh, I do want to mention, uh, and again, this wasn't the catalyst for me asking you to come on to the show, uh, but you are also your first-time author. It's called The CEO Imperative, Faith-Based Service in a Toxic World. Excellent book. Um, Not that anyone cares what I think, but I will tell you, if you have not read this book, you need to. Um, It's Again, it's your first book, right? First one. Well-written, right on topic, very impressed. Um, But we do appreciate you being here. Thanks. Happy to be here. So I want to just start off by asking is how, how did you get into public service 
in what you do? Because one, from my perspective, it's a very thankless job being in the roles that you have held. <laughs> I mean, it really is. I mean, people don't appreciate chambers um, and economic development. Sure. People don't realize how the engine works. But how did you get here? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, uh, I always knew I wanted to serve. I grew up in a small town in South Georgia, Fitzgerald, Georgia, where, you know, the Chamber of Commerce mattered. The Development Authority mattered. You might not have known exactly what they did, but you knew who they were. I mean, you knew that they did good things. They were bringing jobs. A bunch of my buddies um, moved to town because their dads relocated with the plant that they recruited. So that was always in the back of my mind. And then when I I really struggled with it, I thought it was, you know, you talk about the political side of the house, and then there's government side of the house. I think the public service in the chamber world really never became clear until I was in grad school. And uh, had two guys come in one night to grad school to talk about uh, economic development and the, the work that they did. And I followed them down the hall afterwards. I just left class <laughs> when they finished talking. I said, guys, that's what I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to go do that. Tell me how to do it. And I bought them a Coke. And we sat there for about an hour and a half. And one of those guys is still a really close friend of mine to this day. And so that's really where I think the direction went. But really where it became crystal clear to me I'd been doing chamber work for a few years and had a lot of different offers to go do different things or stay in chamber. And I went to saw, uh, visit my grandmother. She's about four foot 11, tough as nails. She was in the hospital and I was trying to cheer up. And I was kind of, you know, I was brag boasting a little bit, you know, look how successful your grandson's about to be with all these different job offers. And she told me to mind myself and not to get too full of myself, which is always good to have your four foot 11 nanny call you out. But the, the deeper one was, she says, and I'll never forget this. She said, it's nice to be wanted, but it's more important to be needed. Why don't you take the job where they need you and where you can serve? And ever since then, that's always been the calculus. Do they need me in this role? Can I make a difference? Can I serve? And then that's the direction that I've gone. So that's how I, I kind of came to it and how I've kind of thought through all the positions I've had over the last 25 years. And you do mention that a little bit in the book. Mm-hmm. But what I'm thinking about the book that sort of isn't mentioned is how you're, you talk a little bit about it, but I'd like to know more about how did your family sort of get you to where you are? And, and it's a faith-based book, but it, there's, you don't really, it's kind of interesting, Mark. He doesn't really talk about it, but it's there. You feel it. Are you are you picking on me because I didn't get a chance to read the book before this <laughs> no, interview? No, no, no. Is that what that I'm is? I'm not making people you at all. <laughs> it was, it's just kind of interesting as 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 Chris is talking. It you could feel it. You knew the the family elements there, but he doesn't really talk about it other than your grandmother. And yeah. so, tell me about how. Uh, no, I mean, listen. I, I grew up in a in a family where my one grandmother was a nurse, one was a teacher. I don't know how you get more service oriented than that, right? My dad was in the military. He went to Vietnam. He actually came back. And he was the oldest guy to go through uh, officer training school and basic training again to join the National Guard and then uh, retired as a, as a major in the National Guard. And my other grandfather uh, was in World War II. My uncle was Purple Heart in World War II, Battle of the Bulge. And so he just grew up with all these men and women that you interacted with. I had a cousin who died in Vietnam. I had an uncle who was a county commission chairman. Uh, I was so proud when my dad chaired the Chamber of Commerce, right? I mean, so I just— we were growing up a small town. I always said it's kind of like on Gilligan's Island. You got the seven same people that have to do every single thing in the community, right? Uh, whether it's deacon of your church or your tax commissioner this year, 
you just serve. And so, yeah, I just grew up in that environment where I don't think that it was intentional. No one sat around and banged on the table at Christmas and said, what are you doing to serve? It's just what you did. And to me, it comes back to the faith part of it, that if my purpose in life is to love God and love people, the purest form of love is to serve, right? Wherever you can go serve. Um, And so, yeah, that's how I think my family put me on that track. And my wife definitely keeps me on it today. We volunteer at our school and our church and everywhere. It's just, it's part of why we're here. That's just our, our purpose of being. Okay. And then from the standpoint with the chamber, the Georgia chamber, Mm -hmm. how big of an organization is that? So we're about probably the fifth or sixth largest chamber in the country. Uh, We're about 50,000 members. We're in all 159 counties and 600 uh, SIC codes. Uh, We represent everybody from, you know, the the smallest mom and pop to business associations like this to the Georgia Powers and the, you know, AT&Ts of the world. And so it is a, it's the largest business advocacy organization in Georgia. And as I said, it's one of the largest in the country. And how many employees do you have? We have about 40 directly and then another 25 to 30 through our affiliates. Wow. And then you, um, you've held this role. I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I know it's been, I don't even know how long it's been. Yeah, it's since been a 2010. While. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's been a while. Yes, it has been a while. Uh, um, and then from your standpoint, did you ever, sitting here today, yeah. I know sitting here with us, you're like, no, there's no way. There's no way <laughs> well, I, I, I ever YouTube. thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, it's the, the pinnacle of Chris's yeah, career. Yeah, now, right can, now. It's it. I'm done. I'm done. I can retire. Uh, yeah. Did you ever think you'd be here? You know, it's all right. I think one of my, one of the, one of the problems I've had in my career path too, I mean, while I've tried to be servants focused, I've been in at time prideful, you know, egocentric, a ladder climber. I've always kind of looked three, four steps up the ladder, right? And so, actually, I did. You know, I, I when I was in my 20s, I said, well, I want to be deputy commissioner of the Department of Economic Development by the time I'm 40. Well, I was 33. And while I was there, I said, you know, I think I'd like to run the Georgia Chamber maybe by the time I'm about 50 or so. And I was 40 <laughs> when I got there. And so, yeah, I did look out and see that because I saw how impactful those roles were that it applied to the passion that I have of what I do every day. And I thought that's a good, I think that would be a good fit. Um, I don't know that I necessarily thought I'd do, I'd do it, but that was a goal out there. But I think that's a, there's a good part of that that I, you know, I knew where I wanted to go. The negative part is that sometimes I didn't focus on the job at hand because I was too busy looking for what was going to come next. And that's just being, you know, honest. And, and obviously that distracted you. Sure. Sure. I mean, I, I remember I, I took a job in Fayette County running the development authority because it was the only, going back to what my grandmother said, it was the only, when I was interviewing, it was the only folks that said, we need you in our community. We need your help right now. And I really felt like they did. And I was there for about three years before I made the jump to be deputy commissioner. And I think I was so busy looking at what comes next. I didn't do as good a job for that for that organization as I wish I had. Um and so, yeah, I think you have to, whatever assignment you're given, you can make a difference there, but you got to focus on that assignment. You can't always be focused on what's coming next. And, and for the uneducated Brit in the corner, that's me, by the way, Neil, just in <laughs> case you're wondering, um, what is the kind of scope of service or the, the Georgia Chamber? Sure. Um, and I'm, maybe there are some listeners out there because we have international listeners, Neil. 
that may not know what the uh, sure. Georgia Chamber does. I, I divide what we do up into a few different buckets, right? So number one, we're, we have a services department that services small business. So we run an insurance company, insure over 50,000 lives, uh, 401k company, all under our umbrella. Uh, we have a foundation that's doing long-term research, what's good for Georgia, tax policy, education policy, workforce development, all things your listeners all care about. We do networking and events, so we, we convene, we bring groups together, we host major events where we our primary focus of those events are to bring elected officials with business leaders together and talk about future policy. And then I think the bulk at really where we make a difference is in the advocacy side of the house. And so we're literally at the Georgia Capitol every day of the year working on policies um, as well as in D.C., um, throughout the year. And so, yeah, those are the kind of the four buckets in our, our scope. So you have some companies that join us because they care about, you know, who gets selected and uh, the policies that they promote. You've got some that are thinking 40 years down the road, which we do a lot of, of work, long-term thinking. And then you got some that are saying, dude, I just, I need cheaper in- health insurance today. <laughs> and here's a product. Here's how we can help you do that. Uh, and then some are just good corporate citizens. They just know that you want to be involved with your chamber because we're down there fighting the good fight and protecting free enterprise every day. And how do you divide your personal mm. uh, time to those efforts? Yeah, not well. Uh, it's, a, it's a big struggle. Uh, I think what I've learned over my, my 13 years doing this job and my leadership roles before. I can't do everything. I'm not good at everything. Uh, what I am good at is the strategy. Uh, I'm very good at seeing what the where the pieces move on the board, where that needs to go. And I'm good at the communication part of it, to go out there and tell the stories. And I'll give, I think this year, I'll probably give 200 speeches this year. You know, here's where George, this is what George is going to look like 10, 15, 20 years from now. So here are the policies that we need to implement. And then, you know, hiring the right people to go out and do the job. And so when I think about how I spend my time, it's engaging and listening to my investors and members around our local chamber partners around the state, and then communicating uh, and developing those strategies. That's kind of the, the, where I'd spend most of my time. I'm not going to be at the Capitol. I'm not a great lobbyist. That's <laughs> not. I did not get that gift, but I have incredible lobbying team that go down there and do the work with all of our partners, um, and then I'm there to support them and to help them be successful. Now I'm going to ask a stupid question because I ask lots of stupid questions, right, Mark? No comment. Okay. <laughs> um, down at the Capitol, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone knows you. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows who you are. I mean, do you at least help your lobbyist open the doors so they get their meeting? Because <laughs> I, I was actually shocked that you just said that. Because I would have assumed Chris Clark's here. Let's meet with him. No, I think, listen, I, I'm going to go to the Capitol when I need to be at the Capitol. When my team says, come down here today, <laughs> come down here 30 minutes from now, I'm there. Uh, but I'm not there just to, you know, just on a regular day. Um, you know, I need to I need to spend my time with the business community, understanding what they need, and then translate that, have those conversations with the governor, lieutenant governor, the speaker, the secretary of state, you know, the attorney general, have those relationships and then be at the Capitol when I'm, I'm needed. You know, when I can help and I can move the needle, then I'll be there. But I have an incredibly talented team. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's to be there when needed. Okay. And I've been here in Georgia. I've been here 25 years now this year. You've been here since 2012, you said? 2012, yep. One thing, and I'm going to throw out, maybe I'm not giving the credit where it should be, but your leadership at the chamber, Georgia's business community has thrived over the last decade or so. 
Um, do you want to take some credit for that or is it, it, it's not coincidence? No, I, I don't think it, there's no credit to take. I, I do believe if you go back to 2010, we were still struggling coming out of a recession. And Governor Deal and I met, his, literally, he, he had, I think it was three days after he got elected. And I'd been on the job, I think, four days, <laughs> started the day before he got elected. And we got together, and he says, what's the most important thing for you? And I said, we have to improve our competitiveness. We're losing projects. We're losing companies to other states. And he had, a, I'll never forget, he had a yellow uh, legal pad, and he t- it had this full of writing. And he turned it around, and across the block letters at the top, he had written, competitiveness. And we spent the next 24 months traveling the state together, listening to businesses. That turned into about 24 different bills and pieces of legislation to cut tax on energy and manufacturing, to improve workforce development, just a number of things. And then within, what, three and a half years, we were the best place to do business. So I think what's unique in Georgia, and my peers are jealous of this in other states, is we've built a relationship where we're trusted by those government leaders they trust us, we trust them, and we work together. Whether Democrat, Republican, we're all at the table. We're sharing what's important. Um, Governor Deal listened. Governor Kemp has listened. Uh, Governor Purdue listened before that. And so we've just been very fortunate in Georgia to have uh, you know, elected leaders for years that get the business community, that have a business background. I mean, it doesn't hurt that Governor Kemp's a small business guy, right? And so it just makes it very easy for us to have these relationships. But I do think people just think some of this stuff just happens magically, but you have to have a team that wakes up every day thinking about 10 years from now to say, we've got to focus on this next. We've got to invest in infrastructure next. We've got to invest in this next. Uh, and that's what, that's what we do. So speaking of 10 years out, and I'm not sure if you're allowed to divulge this or not, what, what does um, business in Georgia look like? I mean, what, what is the kind of idea and the kind of strategy behind what's coming so I think we're we're in a unique position right now. I think in the next five years, as we grow this, the term that we use is the buckle of the battery belt, right? So all the EV, all the alternative fuel, the solar cells, you're going to see that continue to grow. I think you've got probably another two or three years of large investments, and then you're going to have 50 years of those guys just growing. So Georgia will have more jobs in manufacturing by 2028 as a percentage of our economy than we've ever had before. That's a remarkable number. So it really is a renaissance. And these are not your, your grandfather's manufacturing job. These are high techs, require, you know, skilled, skilled professionals, require certifications. I think you're going to see that component grow. What we need to have as a component to that growth is the R&D and the innovation side on top of it. Right now, we do some of that really well. We've got to do more of that work in Georgia. So I want you to build it here, but I want you to design it here too. Um, And so I think that's where the long-term growth is going to be. You're going to see more investments in AI, more investment in robotics. Um, You're going to continue to see healthcare grow, anything in manufacturing, tech space, uh, financial services space. Georgia's prime double-digit growth in almost every economic sector. And I think that's, that's a critical thing, too. If you looked at our economy in 2008, 2009, we were a very one-sided economy, right? We, we were not a diversified economy. Today we are, which means we'll be able to weather whatever recession comes or depression might be out there, economic downturn. We've got defense. We can make up for it in you know, manufacturing, advanced manufacturing, and, and cybersecurity. So we're a much more well-rounded economy than we've been, and it's just continued to build that out over the next decade. And then you have the the infrastructure and association that goes alongside with all of that growth. 
You do, and that's a big part of what we have to do. We've got to invest in freight and logistics in Georgia. Uh, we've got to be able to move. You know, forty. The ports of Savannah will grow by forty, and Brunswick will grow by forty percent in the next twenty years. You can't have all that coming through downtown Atlanta. You got to move that around the rest of the state. We got no, no thank you. No thanks, right? <laughs> you got a million more cars just on the roads in Atlanta by twenty thirty. So you do have to build that out. You have to have broadband, right? You've got to have healthcare build out. So a lot of that infrastructure is critical. And then the other piece that we focus on at the chamber, it's it's three pieces, right? It's the infrastructure, it's the competitiveness, the right tax policy, tort policy. But the other one and the big one where we spend most of our time right now is on workforce development. And I know that's important for you guys. In the skilled trades, we're going to lose, what, 40% of all of our skilled tradesmen by 2030 because the baby boomers retire. And we've spent 20 years telling every kid they need a four-year degree and we're missing that whole generation of, of skilled laborers. And so those are all issues that we work on every single day. I'm going to ask this question. Yeah. Uh, before Governor Kemp came in office, there was a workforce development through the governor's office. Governor Deal had it. Right. And Bill and I were actually on the committee for it. And then it just died. At least, or we weren't invited back. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think we know the answer to that well, one, Neil. <laughs> there was a realignment. I think some of those responsibilities moved to the Department of Economic Development for a while, and now they all rest with the uh, Technical College System of Georgia. And so they've kind of absorbed and tried to streamline those programs. Okay, because I'm just wondering. We don't get invited to these meetings anymore. <laughs> I'm going to blame Bill Anderson. Bill Anderson. It's totally President Bill's CEO fault. of ABC right. Georgia. But uh, – I mean, are those things – because our biggest issue at ABC is workforce development. We don't have enough electricians, plumbers, welders. doesn't matter. Carpenters, and it's only going to get worse. I think the average plumber is like 57 or 58 years old. Average electrician is like 55. Average lineman in Georgia is 55 years old. No, I mean, again, we've we've got the – you know, 73 million baby boomers will retire by 2030. On top of that, Gen Z is a small generation – but starting this year, Georgia's, and this is nationwide, our high schools will have the smallest classes that we've had yes. in 30 years, and that'll continue for 10 years. And so we've got to fix immigration at the federal level. That's absolutely critical for a lot of these different skill sets. But we've got to do a better job of the kids that are here, the alphas that are just now coming into our school systems. You've got to expose them to the career opportunities that are out there. I mean, that's part of my speech around the state, and I'm starting to do it more in K-12 through systems We've got to get past this mentality that every kid needs a four-year degree. These are great jobs. You'll make six figures. You'll probably own your own company within a few years when the boomers retire. The world is your oyster if you'll just take the time to get those skill sets. And that's why we need programs like the Be Pro, Be Proud that they're doing up in Cherokee County and other programs in the state. But it comes to a point where parents have to have a conversation, right? On that front, and and you guys are probably a little too young for this, but I remember growing up – well, you're in the construction community, so it's okay, Mark. <laughs> but I remember growing up, we had shop classes. That's right. High schools. Yeah. And then I remember the shop classes were replaced with computer labs. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things that we were talking about through the governor's initiative was putting shop classes back, back into the high schools. Right. Get kids excited about the trades. Right. I don't know what happened with that. Yeah, it, 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 it evolved a little bit into our college and career academy system. The problem with that system is it's incredible where – where we have them. But not every kid in Georgia has access to a college and career academy. But you go into the one like in Albany, the 3C down there, those kids, they're getting their nursing over here. They're getting their skilled trades over here. They're welding over here. Plus, they're getting all the life skills that they need, their financial services planning, how to take an interview, how to shake a hand. They have a handshake competition, by the way, which is 
fantastic, fun uh, program. But I, th- I think that's a great path. We just got to make sure that every kid out there gets access to that. But I still think it comes back to parents and counselors to tell kids about these opportunities. We just we don't we don't do the job I think we used to do of going into classrooms and explaining to students the opportunities that exist, the money that they can make. Because if you think about the average kid today, where, where are they getting their information from? Well, it's YouTube or Snapchat, and right, they're not seeing plumbers, electricians, you know, skilled tradesmen telling their stories on there. They're getting other stuff. Uh, and so we have to rethink how we engage with that next generation to make sure that they know the opportunities are there. I'm going to change subjects real quick. I learned something else in the book that I never heard before, and I'm sure you all have heard this before. Do you know what they call Gen Zers, Mark? I do not. Zoomers. I'd never heard that before until I read it in the book. I, I think it's interesting that me and you have known each other a while, been doing this podcast for a while, and you still have no clue how old I am. So that's kind of well, wonderful. Well, you look so much younger than I do. Well, so, that's what's, why. so what generation that, are that you is, What are you? I'm, I'm how gener- old are you? I'm Generation X, which is – Okay, so Gen X. Like, that's like the coolest name generation, clearly. Um, well, I'm Gen X, I'm, too. Like, yeah, I'm how Gen old X. are you? I'm 46 years old, man. I mean – you barely I had, got in. Wait, you barely wait, got wait, in. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> How are we almost the same age and I look like 40 years older than you? How I mean, is that possible? You're a, you're a lawyer. Well, that's true. Um, <laughs> that is true. I did. <laughs> we should leave this alone. Anyway. <laughs> this is on air. Producer Austin's giving me the look of like, dude. Don't cut, go there. Cut. <laughs> All right. Cut, cut, cut. We'll, go, we'll go back back to Chris. But anyway, I learned something else. I never heard the term Zoomer before. I love it. Anyway, we talked about. This is what we do. I'm, 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 I'm yeah. down. I'm with it. So you talked about what you're good at, but what what did you recognize at the chamber specifically? You're like, I'm not good at this. Someone else handle this. Uh, and it worked out very well for you all as an organization that you just realized, came to that conclusion. I just, I, I'm not good at this. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I thought about this recently because I was, I was kind of looking back over the last 10 years and I realized, you know, we've, we tried to do this and we failed or we tried to do this and we failed. But what we did is when we failed, we at least planted the seeds and someone else picked it up and ran with it. And so for us, when it's about our members, when we're for our members and for our investors for free enterprise, we get it done. When we get outside of that, uh, and we've really tried hard over the last four or five years to focus because I'm one of those guys, I want to make everybody happy. I want to serve. And somebody says, go do this. This is a good idea. Well, let's go give it a shot. And sometimes I shouldn't do that. Sometimes I should take the time to evaluate it. Um, you know, the opposite of that, we had members come to us for years asking for support on their health insurance. Small businesses couldn't afford it. So we, I charged straight ahead. I hired a consultant. We started putting it all together, and the consultant came in one day and said, it's the worst idea you could ever do. It's the worst time. You should not do it. And I thought, oh, man, I blew it. Uh, Wasted all this money. But five years later, the timing was right. We found the right model, and now we serve 50,000, you know, Georgia lives that that we're able to help every year. And so to me, it's just staying focused on what matters, uh, and then it's okay to hand stuff off. It's okay if somebody else picks up the ball, runs with it, gets all the credit. I don't care about the credit. Um, Be Pro is a great example of that, right? I, I saw that program first seven, eight years ago. I brought the construction crew down, the big tractor trailer. I brought in all these groups. I said, we ought to do this. Let's raise the money. Let's do this in Georgia. I didn't have the bandwidth to do it. Um, 
Misty and the folks at the Cherokee Development Authority picked it up a year and a half later, raised their money, and now they're statewide, and they're a partner with us now. We're promoting what they do uh, because it's the right thing to do, but it just wasn't right for us. So I've learned the hard way. I've wasted some money along the way, but try to learn. Are you in the construction industry or planning a big project? Look no further than our incredible sponsor, Fly and Form Concrete Structures. Whether it's a towering skyscraper or a sprawling parking structure, Flying Form has the expertise to execute your vision flawlessly. They take pride in their commitment to delivering your structural concrete project on time and within budget, making them the go-to choice for general contractors, developers, and architects alike. At Flying Form, they're not just builders, they're creators of strong foundations and remarkable structures. They use their experience and expertise in turnkey concrete frames and formwork, and take your vision and turn it into reality. From concept to completion, Flying Form has your back. Their seamless process means you can focus on other scopes while they handle the technical heavy lifting. Don't settle for ordinary when you can have extraordinary. Choose Flying Form Concrete Structures and join the ranks of satisfied clients who trust them to build their concrete project. Ready to elevate your construction game? Visit their website at flyingform.com or call their team at 770 770- 971-7873 to discuss your project's needs. Fly Inform, building the future, one concrete frame at a time. So, I, slightly different question, but you have kind of these multiple facets as part of the chamber, and you, as the CEO, you have, you said, 30 to 40 direct employees, and then you have 30. How do you um, kind of manage and implement a culture at the chamber for, you know, culture is so important to right. every company and right. I'm guessing the chamber is no different. How, how do you deal with that? It is. And I actually, I, I talk about it in, in the book too, at least give an example of a company that is a lot better than, uh, than we do. But we have the chamber way and we've talked about the chamber way for gosh, the last 10 years. And it's that, that we're a service oriented organization. At the end of the day, we're here to serve our members. And we do that three ways. We put others first. We put our members, investors, partners, state, uh, partners first, uh, that we serve with integrity, right? At the end of the day, it's about influence. Uh, And if you don't have integrity, if people question what you do, if they question your motives, you're not going to be successful. And the third part is that that we're going to be good stewards. We're going to use those resources we're given in the best possible way that we can. Um, And so, yeah, so when we hire people at the chamber, we talk about the chamber way. This seems like something you're not going to be comfortable with. You're probably not going to be happy here. Uh, And every, you know, my I've, I've been saying this for 25 years of hiring, but when I interview someone, we get kind of toward the end and I talk about the, you know, our chamber way and what my expectations. And I tell everybody, there's two things you can't say. You can't say it's not my job and I don't have time. If you say those things, I can just, I'll, that's an automatic fire. You're done. Pack up. Let's go. Uh, because if we're here to serve, then you don't have time to say those. You don't have the time to say those <laughs> those two things, and it's not your job to say those things. And so, uh, we, I think earlier in my career, I didn't spend the time on building culture that I wish I had. Uh, and I've got a lot of good mentors now that have helped me understand easier way, better ways, consistent ways to build the culture. And if you build a good culture, people will stay with you. Um, if you give them flexibility, you believe in them, you don't micromanage them, uh, but you you have high expectations of them because our investors have high expectations of us. You know, my office is, is downtown Atlanta. One of our offices, we have one in Tifton and one in Brunswick too, but the one downtown, I just remind myself, I look out and I see the logos on all the, the buildings and th- those are my investors and members. I'm an extension of their brand every time I go out 
onto a uh, radio or onto podcasts or TV or anywhere. Um, and I expect all of that of our team members as well. And from the standpoint of why the culture is important, and you stress it a lot in the book, but explain to us why. It, it's it's so interesting. I don't know that many of us really thought a lot about culture until COVID hit, right? And then all of a sudden, COVID, how do I get people back in? People are quitting. They're leaving at higher rates. You know, people expect different things, particularly as the millennials at that point really kind of full on came into the workforce over the last five years. And what I found consistently were those companies that had a servant-hearted focus. Those were the ones that survived, that were the best places to work, that their employees came back, that they wanted to be back, that they wanted to invest and engage. And so I think it just reemphasized to everyone that the imperative is to build the right culture. And I think that starts with the executive that's in charge. If your culture's not right, if it's about you instead of about your team members, you can hang it up. You're not going to be competitive. But if you're going to be in a workplace where for the next decade plus, you're going to have fewer, fewer people. Right now in Georgia, for every three open jobs, only one person's looking for work. That's going to be how it is for 10 years. So how are you going to compete and keep the talent that you've got and get new talent? You have to be servant-hearted. You have to be value-focused. And these young men and women that are in the workforce, they get their choice. They can go anywhere in the world they want, take any job that they want. And what the research shows is they want to go somewhere where they can make a difference, where people will care for them, wrap around them, and help them grow. And if your business is not about that, if that's not your culture, you will not be successful. You will not be here 10 years from now. Is that what the catalyst was for the, the to writing this EO imperative? What what motivated you to even write this? No, it's an interesting story. And it's, a, it's one of those where uh, you have to learn to listen differently. So every year, so 20 years ago, the Georgia Chamber started this mentorship program at Georgia College and State University. We pair uh, juniors and seniors with CEOs from around the state, and I've had one for 13 years now. And I was a horrible mentor. I mean, just not good. I was too busy on my career and focused on everything else. I didn't give my time. But a few years ago, I had this incredible young man named JR. And one night, Jay and I were talking, and he said, Mr. Chris, it's kind of cool. You get to work with all these CEOs, right? And I said, well, uh-huh, yeah. He goes, and all these politicians, I said, yeah, uh-huh. He goes, are there values that some of them have that I should focus on in my own career? And it just kind of caught me off guard, and I made up something. I mean, just, just made up something. It sounded great. You know, he said, oh, that's a good answer, and I went home. I was doing my Bible study two nights later, and it was almost like a tap on the shoulder, and it was that's a good question, and you really need to think about it. And so I had an envelope was laying on my table, and I wrote down these values to me that mattered that I had learned from my mentors. And on the other side, I wrote the, the bad <laughs> values that I had seen up close and personal, and I put it away. And a couple of nights later, I sat back down, I was doing my Bible study again, and it's like a tap on the shoulder and said, you really need to spend time in that and tell that story. And so that actually became a speech that I gave, that became a commencement speech that I gave. And then once I gave that commitment speech, commencement speech, and had students and parents come up to me and say, we, this is talking about values, talking about faith, and how you take that back into the workforce matters. We need that. Um, then the next thing I did was reached out and interviewed the folks in the book. And once you sit down with a former governor or a CEO and they start telling you their story, you're like, I'm on the hook now. I got to write this thing. Uh, so that's how it came about. There's a lawyer in there too, Mark. Start there is a lawyer there. in there. 
I had to throw one in. I was trying to be well, well-rounded and balanced. Uh, no comment. No. So, um, and I'm just wondering. Jr. was the captain. Actually, there are two lawyers in there, by the way. Oh, that's true. Sonny Dare so was a law was a he lawyer. He was a, was a yeah, lawyer. That's, right. that's true. Um, but he he, was, he moved he was, on. He was smarter. <laughs> he, he was saved me. Um, I mean, I read about Jr. in the book. Mm-hmm. I mean. Does Jay understand the impact he had on you by yeah. that one question? Yeah, he does. We've talked about it. Um, and, uh, you know, he's he's already gotten married and he's in his we've helped him find his second job now in the in the field. I hope he's going to be happy in long term. But no, I think he 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 came to me fully formed in his own faith. Much more mature than most young men his age. And so it was we were able to have a really good, um, good dialogue about it. But, yeah, I. Um, when he first read it, he he says, "Hey, I'm in your book." I said, yeah, I know. I wrote it. I know you're in there. <laughs> so yeah, so I think he does. Uh, and oh, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to ask. Um, so the values that you're referring to, would you mind just sharing some? Sure. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward. Sorry. It's obviously faith. Is I what I found is that the CEOs that I, that I found most compelling and the most impact on me were really centered in their faith. I think that faith gave them the ability to be incredibly humble, right? It's not about the title. It's about what am I going to do today? Uh, it allowed them to have a different type of wisdom, uh, to see things kind of that visionary, that long-term, how I have impact. It allowed them to be courageous, too. And I think that's one thing, particularly in Atlanta, that I've come to appreciate and love. We've got CEOs of companies, and it's called the Georgia Way or the Atlanta Way, where you're expected to engage, you're expected to be part of the community, to invest in the community, to invest in, you know, your elected leaders, and then to have the passion that you need, and then that that servant heartedness at the end. And so, uh, you know, we we talk about all of those in there, but I really feel like if you're centered in faith, then you can be humble enough to say, "It's not about me. How do I use this?" For others, and I don't know if I use this in the book, but I use it in a speech I gave the other day. So many of us are so focused on climbing the ladder, and I've spent a long time climbing the ladder. It's much more impactful to be the guy that holds the ladder. And I think that's what you try to get to that servant heartedness is who, who am I holding the ladder for today? Wow, I stumped both yeah, of you. That was, that was sort I've been of sitting here for a while, and neither one of you responded. I'm, I'm okay. Is that it? Are we done? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, absolutely not. <laughs> you mentioned mentorship, mm-hmm. uh, and you said you you were not a good mentor. Right. Have you improved? I think so. I can I, I be a little higher marks, I think, than I got before. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's taken the time to, to, put, to invest in other people, right? I think that comes back to the love part, which men aren't great at, right? We, love's not our natural language. Um, but I can love you enough to serve you and give you this time and to invest in you and help you. Um, I, I talked to one of my members this week, and I won't tell his name. He's a president of a, of a great Georgia company, and he was telling me his own story. And he said at one point of his career or when he was in college, kind of lost way, didn't know what to do, and he reached out. He just wrote letters back when you wrote letters, right? He wrote letters to the CEOs that he admired, and every one of them agreed to give him 30, a 30 minutes on a phone call to share their story. And that led to one of them hiring him. And now he runs that guy's company to this day. But it's that fact that you're willing to mentor and give your time. And the other part of that too, and this is where I struggle, I still struggle. I still work on it. Particularly from men, we're so compartmentalized 
This is who I am at work. This is who I am on the boys' trip. This is who I am when I'm part of this group. This is who I am at church. This is who I am here. You know, we're supposed to be authentic, which means we're the same person everywhere all the time. And if not, we're not authentic. We're not genuine. We're not doing anybody any good. And so to now to be able to say to a mentee that I have, um, hey, I really screwed up and did this wrong. Don't make this mistake. Oh, my gosh, you did that? Well, yeah, I was an idiot, right? I mean, you know, I still am from time to time. But um, I just think I've, I've learned to be much more open and honest and putting it all on the table. If you, if, you, if you care enough to learn, here it is, good, bad, and ugly. And from the standpoint of going back to the book for a second, you mentioned the people that had the biggest impacts on your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you interviewed some of them. Mm-hmm. Who's the one person? The, the one person you think of in your life said, man, that is the person that I've listened to, and that's the one I rely on the most. And there were some great people in the book, um, but I'm just wondering, who's that one person that you're like, wow? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's kind of hard to say, right? I mean, I think uh, there's so many people that have poured into me and helped me. I mean, Sonny Purdue hiring me and then giving me the opportunity to fail and then succeed again. I give just a lot of credit for him. And I remember when he and I talked about me coming to work for him, he says, I want you to do this, this, and this. And I said, I don't know that I can, I'll be successful at all of those. That's a pretty big portfolio. He goes, as long as you're trying. It's like, okay. I mean, you just gave me license to go give it a shot. I think he was a big influence for me. And then there's a guy in Hawkinsville named Brooks Bailey who hired me. Uh, He was a local Georgia Power guy who really, I think, was the first professional to say, I want to invest and just be completely authentic, good, bad, ugly, faith, you know, uh, family life, the whole nine yards, and still just a great, great mentor and, and human. I just love him to death. So those those two guys kind of come to mind. What are the daily struggles you contend with? Oh, gosh. He's like everybody else. It's pride. It's ego. Um, it's not putting myself first. Um, I think those are the... I think that's where I am at in my career is I'm not so much worried waking up every day worried about the the specifics of what the day is going to bring. You know, how, how many hours do I have to drive today? How many people are going to be at this speech? What politician am I going to sit down and talk to? Those things are – I'm comfortable in all those roles. It's making sure that that as a person I'm in the right place and I'm treating the day the right way. So I think it's just ego and pride. And what do you do to manage that? Do you – from a standpoint of dealing with stresses, yeah. what do you do? You mean from dealing with the ego and pride? or Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it, it's a lot of self-reflection. It's a lot of Bible study, devotional, journaling, you know, long talks with God, reminding myself, uh, constantly rethinking kind of my how I start the day, what my intent is for that day. Um, but yes, you still— we're still just human, right? We're still going to mess up. It's still going to be about me at some point. I'm going to yell at the guy that cut in front of me instead of being graceful and gracious and letting him in and smiling and waving at him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of personal reflection on the outside of that. I, you know, as much time as I spend outside, that's where I think I, whether it's reading outside, it's fly fishing, it's hiking, it's walking the dogs, whatever it might be, those are all great physical de-stressors for me. But I think most of it is, is really the emotional side of the house. Not, not shouting at people cutting yeah. in front of you when there's a million more cars running through downtown Atlanta is going to be tough. It's tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> tough happened, enough already. <laughs> happened this morning three times. Yeah. So and just wave and smile and just remind yourself. I had grace a couple weeks ago when some guy hit me. Oh. At a red light. And man. Oh, in their car. In their, well, yeah. Oh, I thought I was, you meant light. No, no, no. <laughs> we were driving 
I was at the red light and he just ran right into me and he was so upset with himself. I could not get upset with yeah. him. I felt so bad for him. That's why it's called an accident. I understand. But usually you're like, oh, frustrated. I'm going to be right. late. I can't believe this. And I just, man, I felt terrible for him, mm-hmm. even though he just destroyed my car. Yeah. But it was fine. Was that your, was that your midlife crisis car or was it that was a different car? It was my midlife crisis okay, car. It was my, my little unmanly car. <laughs> As my wife says. We're not going there either. No, that's fine. Let's stay away from that. Um, so, Chris, I have a question that's not related to Neil's accidents. Um, <laughs> so, inherently, kind of, and this feels to me um, as a reasonably recent immigrant to the US, um, over the last maybe 10 years, the kind of political climate in the US as a whole, but in Georgia as well, there's kind of a lot of distrust around kind of government mm-hmm. and kind of you in that unique position between yeah. government and business. Like, how do you deal with that? Because I can imagine you've got a lot of very powerful CEOs involved. I mean, your companies that you mentioned sure. on one side, we have local government on the other side and just the interaction there. Yeah, I, it's, I say this almost tongue in cheek, but it's probably really not. I spent half of my time explaining to business leaders why elected leaders make the decisions they make and talk about things the way they do. And the other half explaining to politicians why business people make the decisions they make and look at it. And, you know, somebody joked one time, said, you're a great translator, right? So I'm trying to translate those two languages and find where the middle ground is, right? It's not going to be all the way over here. It's not going to be well over here. Businesses shouldn't get everything that they want. You know, somebody from a political party shouldn't get everything that party wants. But where in the middle are we all doing good deeds? Where do we do good work? Where do we move the needle? Job creation moves the needle. Investment in infrastructure moves the needle. And that's why I think in Georgia particularly we've been able to have Democrats and Republicans work together on most of those big issues over the last really 30 to 40 years. And so, yeah, it is a, it's a difficult environment to be in, particularly when you get into a political season like we're about to get into with the presidential election year. And you just try to maneuver through them. I mean, listen, every time we endorse a candidate, I get death threats. I mean, and they're mean and ugly, and they're either they're postcards or they're calling the office, and you're thinking, why, why am I doing this today? But because somebody's got to stand up for those folks who are going to be pro-jobs, pro-Georgia, and how do we go help them get that done? And so it's just part of, of why we're there. I mean, I'd much rather, from a chamber perspective, I'd rather take the heat than have one of my member companies take the heat. I'd rather them be able to go out, sell their products, hire their folks, do good work, invest in United Way, do all that work, and let us go get beat up and bloodied uh, and to to convene and find the path forward. So, yeah, it's not a fun space to be by any means, but um, but it's an important space to be in. And do you, do you think it has got a little bit more – I don't want to use the word toxic, but – there's yeah. certain, well, okay, <laughs> I, I use, okay, I'll use I the word toxic. Yeah. Um, do you think that's got worse over the last maybe five years or so? It just yeah. feels like the divide is so great. And, you know, especially the, you know, when you look from a pro business side, right. sometimes personal belief doesn't always line up with how a business needs to run and how Georgia needs to operate to support that business. It's true, but I go back to a conversation I had probably, I don't know, seven or eight years ago with a a very diverse group around a table, and we all kind of agreed on the same policy, but we realized we were all talking about it in a very different way. And a lot of time it's our language that we're using. Um, And so I I do think they're passed forward, but yes, it has gotten more toxic, and I think a lot of that comes down to 
you know, the pundits and the way social media works today, the disinformation, the misinformation out there, and just the way, too, that uh, particularly in the the electioneering space, it's become such a science of how you divide people. Let's divide them down to the smallest possible group and find someone to let them be their tribe and then direct them that way. And that's, I think that loses sight of the bigger pictures and the things that ought to be bringing us together. I have found, I'm from New York originally, and I have found Georgia does a better job of bringing people together mm-hmm. than I think a lot of states. Like we're called a red state, blue state, or purple state, yeah. really doesn't matter to me. I just have found that our politicians try, at least outwardly try, to work together, and they're not afraid to right. take it on the chin from some news media or whatever when they're working across the aisle. Right. Um, do you feel that you guys, you talk about being sort of um, the, the the convener, the facilitator of the right and the left to bring them together for a pro-business standpoint? And I don't, I don't think it's just the left and the right. I think it's rural communities with urban communities. I think it's suburbans. I think it's your, your, your hub commu- uh, cities like the Columbuses and the Macons and the Gusses have different issues than Atlanta has. So where are all of those issues? Where are the things that we have in common? Let's all agree to that, and then let's go fight it out on the other things. And so, yeah, we do try to facilitate and bring folks together. But to your point, though, Neil, we do have a long history of this. And I'll go back. I mentioned it again in the book that Zell Miller running for governor against Johnny Isaacson, he turns around and appoints his Republican rival who he just beat to be head of the state school board because he said education is the most important thing in Georgia. Well, he sent a message to everybody in Georgia. It doesn't matter what party you're in. really don't care. We're about solutions. And I think he saw that consistently over the years of, yeah, you might be a little more partisan when the campaign's on, but when it's not, like a Governor Kemp, he brings everybody to the table. Uh, you know, everybody has value. Let's listen to every idea. Let's find out the, the best path forward. Well, I even noticed with Governor Kemp, mm-hmm. Governor Kemp of the state, ahead of a lot of other things over the last 18 months, which was, at least in my eye, was pretty darn impressive. Absolutely. He could have gone the other way easily on a particular subject and chose not to. Right. Um, and it was a harder path to take. It is. Um, but I, I think, think you ought to have him on here because I think that's a good story that ought to be told. I mean, that's, that's a profile in courage right if there. If you can put in a good word for us, we'd love to have Governor Kemp on our show. Yes. We would. Can we do that? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Do you not know? Neil knows everybody, so well, I, we need Governor I Kemp. I have not asked him yet. And Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry would be great, too. Tyler Perry's <laughs> been on our list for a while, but we, we think that one's probably not going to happen. <laughs> never say never. I said probably not. I didn't yes. say never. Um, what is your biggest fear for the state? For the state, biggest fear um, that, that we mess this up that there's some unintended consequences of some bill or some effort that someone does that kind of blows it up. We've had 40 years of strong economic growth. We have a unique window over the next probably four to five years of some more major investment that will solidify our economy for the next 40, 50 years. And yeah, so we do worry that there's some unintended consequence, you know, like right now we're looking at all the tax incentives for Georgia. Well, you pull one of those out or make a change and it's wrong at the whole you know, house collapses. Uh, We don't deal with tort reform. You know, that becomes an issue for us. And so I think it's the unintended consequences um, that that keep us up up at night. What about your personal fear? You know, my personal fear is that at the end of the day, I show up and God says, what did you do with the gifts I gave you? 
and I don't have a good answer, or I didn't serve the way I should have served. I didn't pour into other people the way I should have. Um, and so, yeah, so that that's a strong motivator. Certainly, <laughs> certainly. What the um, your your family? You talk about your family a lot in the book. Obviously, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, how has your family supported you throughout all of your endeavors in in, in service? Yeah, I mean, listen, they, they've been great. I, I still remember my mother when I was getting sworn in by the uh, Governor Purdue as commissioner of the Department of, Com- of um, Natural Resources. He was listing off all the ways that I had served, and she said, if he keeps talking, people are going to think you can't keep a job. I said, thanks, Mom. <laughs> I think that was the intent of today, but thanks for the humbling moment there. But now I've got an, an, an incredible wife uh, who motivates, urges, wise counsel, uh, and keeps me honest and humble with it, right? Um, they do that. They do they a do. job of keeping us humble, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, yeah. Just, you just think for a minute you're big <laughs> stuff, and you're yeah. not. They put you in your place quickly. Uh-huh. Uh, what piece of advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Yeah, I think it'd be, I think it'd be twofold. I think one— particularly for young folks, you, you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. You can't influence everything. You can't change everything. You can't fix the world. Back off and just see what difference you can make in the environment, the assignment that you have at the time. Stop. And the other part of that would be to stop trying to climb the ladder so fast. I mean, take the time where you are, right? You're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. This is the assignment you have at this point of your life. How do you maximize your input and your impact there instead of just always looking for what comes next? Okay, and can, can you tell me one pet peeve you have? Or more, or more, or than more. One. Yeah, we can go with more than one, but just one pet peeve that just bugs you about people, other than me, other than lawyers. I really, <laughs> I, I grew up in a family that did not allow complaining. It was not allowed. There was always somebody had it worse than you did. Somebody was in a better, you know, worse off way. I don't care how mad you were that you got kicked out of the karate tournament. Uh, it's your own fault. Suck it up. Move on. Uh, don't complain about it. And so I do. It does bug me when I hear people complaining about every little detail and thing, and whether it's on social media or, or anywhere else. Really, is it worth all of that effort that you're wasting right now? It's funny that you say that my 10 year old um, is kind of in that transition right now and he's feeling a lot of emotion and different things. And he, he tends to do that a lot too. And I've been really talking to him about positivity and try and find the, the positive outlook in life. I'm like, look, 10 things may have gone wrong today, but what's the one good thing that happened? Right. You know, he plays soccer, he wants to be better and he will focus on the, the, the one thing he did wrong. I'm like, why don't you focus on the 10 things you did right? Like let's, yeah. let's look to improve, but you know, yeah. that positive outlook really does make a difference. It is. And I think, too, part of that's a cultural thing, too, of that we've, I think we've raised kids, particularly today, as in this never enough generation. Good enough is never good enough. You always want to be better and better. My son's the drum major this year, his senior year in high school. And it's, you know, he, he beats himself up for little teeny tiny things. You're like, dude, you just had a great performance. The band did great. Enjoy this moment for a minute. But I do think that's a, a parent. A per, parental thing as well, that we have to let kids see that it's it's okay to fail, right? It's okay to not be perfect. It's fine. Yeah, I will tell you, I had a kid who went through a band, and I did not appreciate how hard those kids work oh, man. until she went through that. It is unbelievable, the effort 
Oh, those kids hours and, and hours and hours and Saturdays and Saturdays and yeah, so late I'll, nights. Just throwing that out there. It's, yeah. You just don't appreciate it until your kid goes through it. Yeah. So kudos to him. Um, one last question. Actually, I have two questions. Uh, from from the book perspective, you talk about you know it's 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 called the CEO imperative, but the po- the issue over positiveness. Can you just explain why that's so important about keeping positive and keeping focused um, as a CEO? I just think it goes back to that culture that you're creating. I mean, you know, I've known CEOs that created this culture of fear. Right, everybody was scared of them. It was in the corner office, and they had the bubble, and you never got to go in there. And heaven forbid, you know, was he having a bad day today? You'd call ahead to find out. N- none of that benefits you as a person, uh, as a spiritual leader. None of that benefits your your team members. And so, yeah, I don't think I don't care if you're a CEO or you're a manager or you're a coach or you're just starting out in the business world. Just to have that right approach, that positive. How do I make a difference today? I think that makes all the difference to folks. I know a CEO who, if he's in the elevator, you can't go in the elevator. Oh. <laughs> um, I feel like, Neil, you'd be just be looking there. at him and you'd be like, I'm getting in. Yeah, I'm getting, I would. I'm getting like, in. I, there's a guy who says his name differently than, than other people call him, so I call him the, the wrong name just intentionally. <laughs> just because I think it's weird. Anyway, sorry. I just do that No, too. I like it. Yes. So, this is not the CEO of Miller and Martin, is it, by any chance? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Just checking. No, no, no. I would never do that to him. That's incredible. Yes, he's the best guy ever. Um, he's actually a great guy. Um, last question we have for you today is um, who would play you in a movie? Who do you want to play you in a movie? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't want to be in a movie. I don't want anybody to play me in a movie. That's just not my um, – you know, somebody asked me the other day uh, in an interview about legacy, and I said, you know, quite frankly, I, I don't worry about that. I worry about what am I doing today to help people and make a difference. And if somebody else was better and their career moved forward, great. Uh, so I, I don't need a. Please don't make a movie. <laughs> For the purposes of this podcast, who do you think would make a good Chris Clark? In the event, in the unlikely event, they make a movie about you because you don't want one. Yeah, no. Listen, I, th- I think maybe uh, if it was uh, 10 years ago, Michael J. Fox would probably be my pick. Awesome. Good pick. Probably not Probably not today, but, you know, back, back before. absolute legend. Yes. Yeah. Michael J. Fox. Incredible Great guy. Yeah. Um, so how do, how do we get the word out about the Georgia Chamber? How do we sure. – uh, how do people reach out to you? Yeah. How do they become members? How do they get involved? Sure. Uh, GAChamber.com. It's pretty straightforward. Our, that's our website. Uh, you can follow us on all the social medias. It's always just at Georgia Chamber, a lot on LinkedIn. Um, so, yeah, just easy to find us. And then I'd encourage your members – be involved in your association, but be involved in your local chambers, too. They do such an incredible job. They're such important partners for us um, that we're all part of the chamber family. Chris, we appreciate the time today. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks Chris. Appreciate it, Thanks, Mark. Building Leaders Radio Hour is sponsored by Associated Builders and Contractors of Georgia. ABC of Georgia is a network of companies and professionals within the develop, build, design industry that is committed to connecting the disciplines of construction to benefit the industry, the economy, and employment in Georgia. 